Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clearmotive Marketing. Thank you to my business partner, Chad Croker, and the entire team who worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make this show a reality. As a founding partner at Clearmotive, I'm excited to announce the official launch of our industrial marketing system. As a company with 15 plus years of experience with a variety of clients in nearly every sector, we identified that industrial manufacturing companies were underserved. You have unique needs, and we have developed a unique skill set to help you succeed. If you build and sell a product that helps other companies, we have developed an industrial marketing system to get your highest priority product in front of your ideal customer profile in less than eight weeks. Gardner recently reported that your buyers are 87% of the way through their buying process before contacting your company directly. That means it's never been more critical to apply the right marketing process to create and close more deals. Our three-stage industrial marketing system helps you shorten your sales cycle by using modern marketing tactics designed specifically for your industry and more importantly, for the way your clients like to buy. Stop sitting on the sidelines wondering which part of your marketing is working and put a system in place that makes it easy for your most valuable prospects to find you and get excited about your solution to their challenges. To find out more about what ClearMotive's industrial marketing system can do for you, please check us out at www.clearmotive.ca IMS, or better yet, open up your email and contact me directly at tyler at clearmotive.ca, T-Y-L-E-R. I'm excited to chat with you and put a plan in place to get your most valuable leads contacting you and not your competitors. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest. name is Kylie Woods. How are you, Kylie? I'm good. Thanks, Tyler. Kylie, so good to have you on. We've been chit-chatting away. Classic Tyler. Forgot to push record. No, not necessarily. We were catching up. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You and I have met a couple times. Calgary's a small world. We have mutual friends and cross paths, but we're finally getting to sit down. You are the founder and executive director at Chic Geek, and I'm excited to have you on. So before we go any further, let's, get, let's jump in the quick elevator and let's give us the, what's a, what's a Chic Geek? Yeah, so Geek exists to build gender diversity in technology. We want to see more women contributing to how tech is being built because technology is integral to our lives, the way we live, how we work, and we want to see women's voices shaping that technology. So we focus on retaining mid-career women in tech because there's this really vulnerable drop-off point. It's kind of this fight or flight moment for women when they reach that mid-stage of their careers in tech. And you know, it's estimated that a million women are leaving tech. If we could just reduce attrition by one quarter, we could keep 220,000 women in science, engineering, and technology. And that's a significant impact that we want to start to make a change on. That was probably the most concise elevator ride I've had in a long time. Well done. That was a bang. I know exactly. Now I have like 300 questions I want to ask you. So talk to me. Like, let's first, and again, I, 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 love, I love lost language and what it might mean or might not mean. So let's define mid-career for starters. Is this someone, I'm eight years in, I'm 10 years in, I'm at a manager level. Like, what, what is, how would you define that in this context? Yeah, thanks for asking, Tyler, because mid-career sounds like it should be very succinct, but it's actually uh, a little bit more vague than that because in technology, you know, careers are changing so quickly. We're seeing new roles that we've never seen before. So you can hit mid-career in tech within, you know, five to seven years, but it could also capture women in their 30s to 40s who are making career changes, transitions, uh, working for larger companies where progression is a little bit different. So it, it kind of spans anywhere from, you know, five to seven years up to, you know, 10 to 15. 
Okay, that that's that makes sense because there is no one ver like define tech. I won't ask you that question. When uh, and is this typically larger organizations like more where there is like you said a very more succinct career path? Like obviously Calgary has an amazing startup ecosystem that's really getting going. You can be mid career, but you can still be at a startup too. So is this when you see that statistic? And I'm looking at it on your website right now, thesheetgeek.ca. Women are two times as likely to quit the tech industry as men in that mid career. Typically larger organizations versus startups. And we'll talk about that maybe as its own category here in a second. Mm -hmm. I don't know that the data has captured that kind of distinction. So uh, yeah, I can't speak to that, Tyler. Okay. And let's get the real question. What are you seeing as some of the reasons or some of the factors? Because if, if we need to know, we need to know what it is so then we can blow it up. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of things. So um, one is that there's this lack of career visibility. So women feel like they're stunted in their careers. They don't know what's next for them, how to move into the next role. They feel like growth is not an option and they're leaving. Then you kind of add on these other two more social elements, which is around these feelings of isolation that women in tech can often have because they're, they might be the only woman on their team, the only woman in leadership, and there's this loneliness that kind of comes with that. Mm -hmm. And we know that when women are the only woman on their team, that that increases likeliness that they will leave because they're not kind of at that, you know, there's always the minority, which is a, a, a heavy weight to carry. And then lastly is their networks. So, you know, 85% of jobs are found through the networks you have, not from applying through, you know, submitting your resume and cover letter. And women are not networking in the same way that men are because their time is, is split so finely that they're like, unless there is high value for me and I know exactly what I'm going to get out of it, I don't have time to do that. And what we're seeing is that it starts to affect them later in their careers where they don't have these large networks to be able to pull on when they're trying to make career transitions. Oh, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, are you finding, and this is just a, maybe a general question, that networking or the after work drinks or let's go, I'm just finding there's more resistance in general, in both genders, just for people, they want their time to be their own. And it's like, no, I don't like taking me out for, you know, as a vendor to a client, oh, take me to hockey game. It's like, well, actually, no, I don't see that as a plus because you're taking away from me, me away from my family. I feel there is kind of a shift there where I don't know if it's leveling out, but, and it also feels like the old school way, like, let's go out drinking after work. I'm like, Ugh, I don't, I got things to do. I got a dog at home. I want to go see my wife. I got like, I want to go to the gym. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like, and I don't, I don't know, maybe that's just my own optics that some of those things that maybe were more just part of the game, do you also feel like they're shifting ac across the board? But I do appreciate the, if you don't have that network and like, oh, I'll just call so-and-so and they'll introduce me to such and such and I'll get a job, especially in Calgary, I find like it's one degree of separation, but I don't know. Are you noticing any of a shift or maybe a people being a little more, maybe better with boundaries? Let's call it that. <laughs> I think that with COVID, you know, we've seen what our options are to work differently. And it's also created space for introverts to work how they like to. Like I'm a huge introvert. I love working nice. from home. I hate in-person meetings. Um, and so now there is another option on the table that wasn't necessarily there before. Um, and I, I think that people, now that they've experienced it, some of them are sticking their feet in and saying like, no, this is not going back to work and the in-person and all the social stuff is not for me. Um, that's where they can kind of set those boundaries a little bit better. Well, we've proven that it's it's workable, right? Like, oh, that'll never work. Well, 
you know, basically from Friday to Monday when we all went to lockdown. By Wednesday, it was working, which I find is really interesting. <laughs> Shattering necessity, the mother of all invention. Uh, thoughts, and maybe now we're getting to big social commentary. That networking element, when you think about work from home, and of course, there's a lot of, we, we joked about it earlier, if you're for work from home, you're for it. And if you're against it, this weird, it's this funny thing to be for or against in office or not. Is is the downside of that? Or is it do we just have to be that much more deliberate about creating those networks? Because if I fast forward a couple of years, you know, you, you, you run the graph out long enough, what's the cause and effect? Unless you're deliberate and reaching out, that can get very isolating very quickly. And you also have to be more deliberate in the way that you're running an online meeting and building online connection. Tyler, you and I spent 30 minutes before even recording this call, just totally. catching up and, you know, sharing personal stories and really building a rapport. And you have to be intentional about that in the online world because it's easy to miss those things. And so if you don't have people at the table who are able to create that space or company cultures where that's important, then it's, it might not work. Um, yeah. Being deliberate, what I hear so loud, loud and clear. It's not, I always joke, you're going to have a culture. It's whether you were deliberate about creating it or whether it just created, oh, we don't really focus. I was talking to someone the other day, a large organization, like, no, we haven't really focused on culture yet. I'm like, I don't know who you're kidding, but you, I guarantee you have a culture. Just maybe if you haven't focused on it, that's it. That maybe is true, but there will be something there to fill the space. <laughs> Kind of was a scare. It was a large organization, like four or 500 people growing fast. Like, no, we haven't really been delivered about culture yet. We're just going to kind of wait and see where it, where it nets out. I'm like, felt risky. I maybe gave me a shiver. <laughs> yeah, people um, on, who are listening can't see my face, but I'm making a lot of faces at that. Totally just like, what if, are you talking about? <laughs> if companies aren't controlling their, uh, controlling, but, you know, intentionally building their culture. In influencing, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, then they miss, they're not setting that narrative. And that's where, you know, these really negative experiences in the workplace can happen. And we know that a single person can affect, like if you're a leader or a manager and you've got, you know, five or 10 people under you, you have the ability to, to affect their entire workplace experience. And so while we say that, you know, culture is this company thing, it's actually each of us as individuals has the power to create culture. And so we all need to be thinking intentionally about what is the experience that I wanna create for the person on the other side of this? And most people aren't thinking about that. It's so powerful. I, I was having a conversation there. A good friend of mine works at Kudos, a fantastic Calgary company. And I just had Mooney on uh, the podcast a few weeks ago. We just went live with it. It was a great episode if you're curious about his view on culture and what he sees. But I was talking about and being very much the owner, leader, founder guy and going, oh, geez, I need to do this and I need to create this. And she kind of stopped me. And someone I've known for years, she used to work with me. She works there now. And she said, you know, it's also up to your team to create culture, right? It's not like, don't think there's something you're going to do to them. And I was like, thank you. know what? Thank you. She kind of like slapped me around a little bit and said, listen, stop with this. Like, it's your job. She goes, you create the opportunity, but everyone has to participate equally. And I really, I appreciated it. And I like how she put me back in my lane. <laughs> she goes, you know, we're all responsible for the culture we want to create and the workspace we want to have and how we treat each other you know, as, as, as the owner of the company or whatever your role might be, you remove that, those barriers, but you let people step into that space. I really, it, it just was that little slap I needed to kind of put me back and get my perspective back from something you will do to someone versus something you allow to happen. Very, very different. <laughs> and that practice can happen anywhere, Tyler. I remember, you know, I'd be going to a ton of in-person networking events and I'd be so uncomfortable, the huge introvert that I am. And <laughs> So the only thing that would help me navigate that was to think about what is the experience that I can create for somebody else in this room. So I would pick out somebody who looked more awkward and uncomfortable than I was and I would start up a conversation and they would always be really welcoming and receptive to that and it was 
So my goal when I interact with people is always to make them feel like they're the most important person in the room. You will always have my full attention. I'm not going to be looking around at who's walking through the door and like I'm going to focus on you and I will ask really meaningful questions, not just the surface stuff. And we will feel like we have left with a meaningful connection. And that is practice that outside of a work setting or a team meeting that anybody can do. And you could be waiting for the bus somewhere and you could do that to somebody else. Um, yeah, so I think it's, you know, this cross-pollination of concepts that we can apply in, in any part of our world. Yes, I do. I do. It's still just a bunch of human, messy humans having a messy human experience, and that's okay. Being human is messy, and that, that's all right. Back to what you were talking about. I got so many questions. I want to, it's like, so I really love how you've really identified a very specific area, kind of like that mid-career and the risk of women lose, leaving tech and how do we limit that? When you look at the complete spectrum of women getting into STEM and women getting into young girls, thinking about what their options are, and I'm curious, and I don't want to in any way minimize that this is a journey and we need to keep working at it, but are we also... If you're in your 30s to 40s, you're not 15. But if I'm 15 now, I got 15 years until I'm I'm 30 in my 30s or 40s, 15 to 20 years. Are we setting a better foundation? Like if we think about, you know, I, I was talking to Jim Gibson the other day from the School of Advanced Digital. And he's like, and he was talking to about Calgary in general. And he's like, ah, oh, we're 10 years late to a 20 year plan. When it comes to this type of adoption, things go through cycles. So when you look out there and you say, well, you know what, I really like what's going on for what with us, these younger girls and women are getting exposed to, so that when they're in their 30s to 40s this will be less of a problem. Are you seeing that? Like, I'm not saying that that is happening. Are we on the right path that 20 years from now, this will be better while we're still dealing with it today, of course? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question, Tyler. And you're picking up on some nuance here because when we look at this challenge, so not enough women in tech, that's kind of the problem we're talking about here. It really does span everything from elementary school kids all the way up to senior women leaders. And at each kind of you know, stage of that life cycle, there's different ways to solve the problem. What's gonna work for, you know, grade six kids, it's not gonna work for a woman in her 50s. And so we need to be very, what it, what it means is that there's room for lots of people and organizations to come in and offer solutions. There's no silver bullet, there's many ways to solve the problem. But from a Sheik Geek perspective, if we do not focus on this leaky part of the funnel, then, what's the point of continuing to attract and build a foundation in younger girls if they're going to come to this stage and they're going to experience the same challenges that women are experiencing now, then they will continue to leave. And one of the, the premises that Sheik Geek is built on is that if she can see it, she can be it. And so when we don't have enough women in those role model, intermediate and senior positions, then other young girls and young women will not be able to see themselves there either. And it create it just reinforces the cycle that we're already in. That makes a lot, yeah. Because if you're putting all these programs in place for young girls, but they look out across the ecosystem and they don't see themselves in as a reflection in organizations, then we'll never get there. So that's like building a time machine and then looking at, well, geez, but if we change that and don't change that, then that will never exist. I, I do I do really ap appreciate the kind of the... the 
are you excited about some of the changes that are happening at the earlier ages and at that at that at that grassroots level? Because if you think about if that would have happened twenty years ago, tech might look different today. So I'm kind of thinking about always trying to go back to the the foundation. I won't call it the base, but are we making better choices? Like, do you run into fifteen year old girls that are like, I'm going into this and I'm excited about it? And is that just I I, I would hate to think it's just that it, it, it should just be whatever they want to do, <laughs> ideally. You know, I think we're starting to see that. It's definitely something that I'm excited for my girls. Tyler. Like they're only mm-hmm. three, but I'm thinking about how can I get them into robotics and, um, you know, <laughs> nice. that's right. I think so it's as parents, it's also that we have a broader awareness of what is like, what are the options available and how do we expose our kids to that? And I think it's also about not fully relying on just the education system, but there's a lot of extracurriculars. How do we really make their worlds feel big instead of small by exposing them to all sorts of things? Uh, I appreciate that the extracurricular and like filling it up from a, from a, from a life perspective. Kylie, just curious, and not to go too far down this one, but what was your journey getting into tech? Like looking back, how did you find yourself in it and kind of end up in this amazing role that you're in today? <laughs> I had a crying in my car, leaving an event early because I felt so unwelcome. Experience. Wow. Okay. And it, you know. I've mentioned I'm an introvert. Going to any of those things was already hard, but I was doing like four to five events a week, really trying to put myself out there. And I would consistently be the only young woman that looked like me. And I was like, where's everybody else that's like me? Because I feel like such an outsider right now. And so Chic Geek really started as something personal. I was trying to solve a problem for me. And then it grew because so many other women were experiencing that same challenge. And over the years we have evolved, um, but that was the impetus was something very personal. And then when I did the research and really started looking, it was like, wow, this is a much bigger problem. And you know, my worst fear is that if women aren't involved in technology, you know, technology is shaping how we, you know, record our history, how we can share it, the stories that we tell. You know, I'm afraid that women's voices will not be part of our future. And that's a really scary thing to me. Yes, history is very much reflected on who wrote it, right? <laughs> and you can take that to any level. But even getting into when you were first at those conferences and your, and your, or those events and there's no one like me, what got you into tech in the first place? As just like, I'm going to get into tech because I, I'm passionate about this. I'm excited about this. I want to live in the code. I want to do the thing. I want to geek out. Let's use it. Let's use the word. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, it was fell into it completely by accident. But then I started following the rabbit hole and was so inspired by, you know, the applications of tech, what people were building, the passion, the excitement, the drive that you meet in a lot of these entrepreneurs and folks in in the kind of nascent tech space. And I was like, if I'm working in this space, I will build a career for myself that I never want to retire from because I am so engaged and I will always be learning. And that is the life that I want for myself, where work and life are integrated and really meaningful in the legacy that I leave behind. I appreciate it. Yeah. Getting so passionate about something that the, the, the obstacles you're still willing to push through. And that's a big, that's, that's hard because it can really erode your, your drive and your energy. Nine years and six months. Thank you, LinkedIn, for being very specific. Since you started Cheeky 2013, not nine years and five months or not nine years and seven months, nine years and six months. LinkedIn is boom on it. I'm a LinkedIn, LinkedIn investigator. How has it changed? Are you, is like, 
is the conversation becoming more, I don't want to use the word mainstream because that sounds like I'm minimizing it, but are you getting more reach out? Is this starting to get traction? Like I love the 10 year overnight success stories. Everyone's like, oh, this is so successful. And you're like, oh my God, I've been working at this for nine years and six months, probably plus plus. That's just when you put it on LinkedIn, let's be honest. So how has been the journey even like five years ago to today or three years ago? Or when was there a point where a watershed moment where you're like, okay, finally, I'm not crazy. This is actually getting traction. <laughs> Yeah, that it's interesting because the traction we had early on was very grassroots. It was individuals, you know, who are women in tech or wanting to be in tech who are like, yes, we need this and it's important. And then over the years now, we've seen this shift of government saying that diversity, equity and inclusion is important, especially to our talent ecosystems. We're seeing private companies saying that we want to hire more women and build better workplaces for women. And then we are seeing women themselves saying we expect more and these are the changes that we want to start seeing. So, you know, I, I am excited, optimistic and hopeful about, you know, kind of this this point that we're sitting at. But I also recognize that these changes are not going to happen overnight. And, you know, to be honest, I don't even know that they will be in place for when Lily and May grow up and are in the workplace. Like this might be something that we are planning for our grandchildren. But it's, yeah. But it's, but it's, but it's, it's worth building is what I'm hearing loud and clear and kind of your passion. So lack of career visibility, you know, isolation, loneliness, you know, and building up networks. I'm on your, I'm on your website now. Of course, I'm again, creeping out, looking at it, read diversity motherboard. So talk to me about some of the things you're doing as direct action items. You very much identified and have a really clear articulation of the problem, which I appreciate that doesn't also happen overnight. That's probably a lot of days and a lot of time in the, with a whiteboard working through that. But now that you've identified, like, those are the things we see that are really like causing the most damage to this group that we're focusing on. Uh, Talk to me about some of your, your initiatives and how they kind of dovetail in to support that. Yeah, the Diversity Motherboard is, it's a content hub for companies to learn about what other companies are doing in practice. And there's a lot of tangible assets that can be downloaded. So whether you want to start your own annual DEI survey, we've got like the top 15 questions you should be asking. Um, or you want to write your own DEI policy, we've got all the main headlines and how to start writing that for yourself. Because from a Chic Geek perspective, we understand that, you know, working directly with women in tech and our community is important. And that is where we started. But we also need to start engaging companies to take more ownership and driving their own positive change. And that's going to create the sweet spot where women are going to want to stay in tech. This is not a Chic Geek problem. This is an everybody problem. And we need to get lots of supporters behind it in order to move the dial. Yes. And do you see a shift and we've got a lot of legacy organizations in Calgary and there's no need to get into who, who and what's what we've got, we've got, a, we've got a very old school industry here that's been here for a long time and has run a certain way. But then we also have companies like Helsum and Avanti and uh, Cement and Benevity that are like, feel like they're the newer vibe. They're a newer, do you see a big disparity or I won't even, I, let's not take it to the negative. Are you seeing, or do you get excited when you see a company like, and I just saw Helsum on your website and Nick is awesome and I'm a big fan of what they do. Are you seeing also an appetite where this isn't about changing some legacy issues. It's about, no, no, we know what's important and we're doing it right, right out of the gate. I'm, 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 I'm leading a little bit cause I'm thinking that that's what's going on, knowing these organizations as well as I do. And they are, they get, they get it. <laughs> that's what I would say from the outside. <laughs> Absolutely. We are starting to see that coming from, you know, founders and leaders that building culture and diversity is 
It's critical to the success of the company. And one of those factors is that it helps to attract talent, attract and retain talent when those systems are built out. We ran a very interesting sentiment analysis um, on our career pathing program. And what we found was that women working in tech who are working for companies that had DEI initiatives on the whole felt more positive about their career outlook, the companies, the tech ecosystem. And so that really reinforces that companies need to be working on this stuff now. It's not something you can add later, like it really should be baked in. And that affects how you're perceived by your employees, by your customers. So I think we're starting to see that shift, but there's always more work to be done. And I want to caveat by saying that companies don't need to be perfect off the hop. It's, it's important to really just start engaging in the journey. It doesn't, you don't need to be creating all of the right things. You will make mistakes. It will be hard and uncomfortable. But if, it, if you weren't experiencing that, you wouldn't be doing it right. <laughs> Do you find there's a lot of f- a f- a failure to act because of fear of failure? <laughs> so much fear of failure. Putting yourself out there in the, the diversity and inclusion space puts you on a, on a stage to be called out. And many people are afraid of that. Or they might say, well, I am a white male with a lot of privilege. I shouldn't be the one, you know, advocating for this. I'll leave that to, you know, women or people of color. Hmm. But it's so important to have those allies and champions across the board and people who come from positions of privilege to be creating space and really paving the way for others as well. It is a, I would say, a balancing act. I think that involves a constant check-in, really open lines of communication to say, hey, like, was that okay? Did I do that right? You know, how did that feel for you? Um, What do you need? Uh, And really showing up with that kind of curious question asking and putting somebody else first. but there is a lot of fear to even start the journey. And so this work to engage, I think, with Sheet Geek, to um, be curious about diversity, equity, and inclusion, is it's courageous work. Mm, I really appreciate that. And, and celebrating being courageous, not celebrating being perfect. Because <laughs> it's going to be messy. Um, so from your, as an organization, you're obviously doing things to create a, a, optics around it and to give people an opportunity and a place to engage. But are you also getting called in? Like, would I hire you to consult from our organization, just like getting into the business case of how, how your business operates? Would I call you to say, hey, I need to do a sentiment analysis, or I just, you know what, come and meet with our leadership team because we know this is important, but we're all scared because we don't know what to do, just to oversimplify it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, the best avenue for that really would to look at some of our corporate partnership packages. And one of the things we offer is to roll out our career pathing program internally at companies. And so career pathing is this virtual networking for women in technology. Through those networking, they get two new connections every month. So they can meet up to 24 new women in tech every year to really expand their exposure to role models, have 30 minute conversations that will increase their career visibility. And when companies are engaging in career pathing, the goal is that it's actually retaining their people better because they're able to have these meaningful connections that will help them navigate their careers, feel like they're supported and um, you know, be able to build their networks, but also gain the visibility around what's next in their careers that they might not be able to do internally. 
I like it. It's like getting a box subscription where every month you get to open it up and you get two introductions for 30 minutes every month in your gift, in your, in your little surprise box. I love it. <laughs> That's great. And would that be inside the organization or inside your, your industry or how broad would that go? Like just to, to get the context. Yeah. So that will go to the Sheik Geek community. So they're actually able to make connections okay. outside awesome. of their companies because not all companies have, you know, a lot of women in tech to begin with, but career pathing is also a great way for men to show up as allies for women in mm. tech. It's a very actionable way because men can get involved as our mentors, career guides, and they can help women navigate and kind of answer these questions as well. And so, you know, when we have men who say, well, yeah, I support women in tech, but I don't really know what to do about it, sign up for a career pathing, we need more mentors. And career pathing is available not only to companies, but also to individuals. And, you know, the beauty is that we're able to start seeing these aggregate trends of, what are women in tech asking for? What are their big challenges? Um, you know, what kind of advice are they looking for? And then we can use that to start informing our advice to companies of like, you know, hey, you should start doing these types of things because this is what we're seeing in our sector. I appreciate that. How much do you, and just to be clear, are, are you guys, you guys are, you're, you're based in Calgary, you guys, sorry, there I go. Your group is based in Calgary, but do you work all across, all across Canada? Like what's your geography? What's your reach? Yeah, so we are headquartered in Calgary. We are a fully remote team and all of our program and service offerings are virtual first. So across awesome. Canada and that's kind of our goal. Yeah. Do you look outside? I'm always curious. Like, where, where do you learn? Where do you learn from? Do you look at other parts of the world, other jurisdictions, other cultures where, wow, they're really getting that right? Or that's where, you know, there's some amazing research or is it a bit of a, maybe a patchwork of like, well, we get a great report from here and we get some visibility here. And is there anywhere you look to as like really a thought leader or is it, a, is it kind of a mixed set of resources that you get in to really inform your thinking of, of kind of where to, where to go next and what to offer? It's a patchwork for sure, Tyler, and it is ongoing. That work never stops, and we are almost 10 years in at Sheet Geek. Um, so sometimes it's looking to other similar organizations. What have they done? What's their trajectory? How do we learn from them? But that can be a double-edged sword because then sometimes it feels like we're not doing enough or somebody else is already in that space, so I should just <laughs> give up. Like I've gone through all of those ups and downs. But the other side is also pulling from unexpected places. So. You know, we met with someone from the university district and learned about how they build communities. And I'm pulling some nuggets about, oh, how do we apply building in-person communities to our virtual community at Sheet Geek? Um, mm. You know, how do we learn from startups, but also nonprofits? So it's pulling from all sorts of different worlds. And that's some of where our best learnings have come from. I appreciate it. I love, I love your vulnerability around. Sometimes when you look around, you're like, oh, oh my God, we're so blind, but there's not, I, all the good ideas are done. Like it can, you can easily get like that sometimes. I do anyway, so I, I, I connect with you on that feeling. Sometimes you feel like, oh, all the good ideas are taken. They're all used up. I'm, we're not doing anything. Tyler. <laughs> the, joys and, the joys and roller coaster of being a founder or being like that, that visionary, man, it can be a real emotional roller coaster some days. It's a roller coaster almost every day. My poor husband, he gets the brunt of it when I'm excited. <laughs> exceptionally um, emotional but you know I came back from that leave to Sheet Geek and COVID hit and we had to completely reimagine how we operate and what we do and it was eight months of question asking coming back to the research mm -hmm. having conversations of not even knowing at the end of that eight months you know will Sheet Geek continue after this or am I going to be looking for a job somewhere and so you know that is an emotional journey but we have come out stronger for it 
but it is a lot of I don't knows. And that's, I'm a very A-type personality. I like to know the answers and have the plan. And that is being in the messy middle. Uh, yes, the word messy. That's the underpinning theme to everything we're chatting about today. Well, if humans are involved, it's gonna it's it's gonna be a little bit uh, gonna be a little bit messy. How big how big is your team right now? What where are you guys at? We are five people now, and nice. this is the first time that we have had a paid team. Um, prior to this, Chic Geek was fully volunteer run. It was one staff, me, and we had a, at our height close to fifty volunteers that were running all of our operations, which is phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. But having two staff, do you still have volunteers? Yeah, well, focused—it's a whole different model. Do you still have volunteers, though? Do people are still people able to participate? Not currently volunteers for the team, but how folks can show up to volunteer is by raising their hand as a career guide and having those thirty-minute conversations with our community members. Mm, I really like that. Do you have? Is, is there a shortage of, of uh, looking at the balance kind of when you have that network model of like, you know, we have people that are looking to network, we have people that are, you know, there to counsel or to offer mentorship. Like, is it fairly balanced? Do you have any challenges finding enough people to participate? Because I'm a marketer, so I love getting the word out. When it's a good word, I want to tell everyone. <laughs> you know, we actually have a two to one ratio of mentor to mentee right now, which is pretty phenomenal. That's amazing. Um, yeah, which is great because mentees are getting, you know, two new introductions every month. So it actually works out pretty evenly. But we are always looking for folks in, you know, software development uh, who might specialize in Amazon Web Services, uh, mm. looking for some folks in design and UX as well. Um, so because we span so many different types of technology roles, there's space for everyone. And we believe that you can be a role model and mentor at any stage in your career. You have something meaningful and valuable to offer in your lived experience. You don't need to wait until you're, you know, a, have senior or leader in your title with 20 years experience. We have some folks who are just transitioning into tech and that career story is so valuable to others who are just the, in that same kind of path. I appreciate just human advice versus good advice on UX design, like getting into the technical side versus for, you know, not to forget that there is the whole human side of just how do I navigate this? I'm new to this or, Hey, this is how I did it. Maybe that works for you. Maybe it doesn't. DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, just reading off your website, intersectionality, like all the different things that it, it, it's complex. And there are so many marginalized groups out there that we're becoming slowly and consistently more, more aware of. You know, Chic Geek, obviously looking for more women in tech. How much does intersectionality play in with, with DEI? I'm assuming it's a huge part of the conversation. And can, where are you seeing that going? And how do you see it all kind of melding together? Yeah, that intersectionality adds a lot of beautiful complexity to this space. It, the challenge for an organization like Chic Geek is that we are so small and so lean that if we were to try to be everything to all subgroups, then we would really struggle to deliver something meaningful. And so we have chosen to stay very focused on women. Of course, that you know, we see women of color, of different sexuality, of you know, different lived experience. We have a lot of new Canadians. Um, but yeah, the focus is still important. But the conversation around all diversity is really what we're seeing a lot of companies uh, moving towards. That it's not just, oh, women are important. It's no, everybody is important and we need to have things that will support all minority groups. Um, 
but that is that is a long process to build for. But we are seeing that many groups are undertaking that work. Appreciate it. how much do you partner and I'm. What what's the network like? And we're in Calgary, so we'll talk about that. When I think I, you know, I see so much more of it, even the last couple of years, and also it's the conversations I'm having. So your your biases get led by who you who you talk to. It certainly seems like we have so much more focus on you know a newcomers group, or it, there's so much more going on in the city. Do you find yourself partnering a lot, or kind of coming into conversations or alongside of other groups and what they're doing? Because it all complements each other, but yet we're all still competing to create change. So it's an, it creates an interesting dynamic. We're all competing. Eating, but we all technically need to win together for everybody to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky situation. I did totally uh, this. <laughs> no, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And when other organizations are able to cover different spaces, we're seeing a lot happening in the neurodiversity groups that are neurodiversity serving. So um, Autism Can Tech is an example of mm. uh, a group that's placing folks with autism into very specific roles and companies. And that's really wonderful. And so while there's not a lot of direct collaboration for us, you know, we're really trying to amplify the work of other groups. And so that work is starting as well, is just being able to share and make more companies aware of the great organizations that are out there. Sometimes that's just half the problem, not even knowing what's available or not like knowing where to look. There's no one stop. There's no yellow pages for, you know, access to understand what is out there. And it often is back to your point through your network through who you get introductions to. So let's get a little bit practical here at the end. I'm an organization. I'm listening to this. I'm like, this is something that is we've identified as important, but we're, we don't know where to go next. We don't know necessarily how to turn and identify it. We all agree on this. Let's actually move to action phase. What advice would you give and kind of what would be those steps? Like really getting it down to the practicality of like, how do we make this start to be real? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that, Tyler. Um, you know, one of the things that we really look for in companies that Chic Geek works with and partners with is that that change is coming from leadership. If it's coming from the top, then they will put resources, whether it's you know people or money behind it to make the change happen, which it doesn't always, that's not always the case. Sometimes you know things happen at, at, a, at a grassroots level and it's really great, again, to have both of those things coming together. But if you only have it from one side or the other, it, it's really hard to make the change. You really need to make sure that you've got the leadership buy-in and support and you have that grassroots like ready for action and change. And so if you do have that leadership buy-in and it's leadership saying like, yes, we will champion this, we want to see changes, then I would really recommend going and talking to your to your people. It's about, you know, focus groups, surveys, having conversations to understand where are the priorities of your people and using that as a feedback loop to start informing what actions. All the, all the answers that you need around what to focus on are there in your people. And so all you need to do is start asking the questions. I really, I really appreciate it. No, there's some magic answer somewhere that I can go and find. Like, no, no, it's the alchemist. You went on this huge journey and it was all waiting for you right there when you get, when you get back. <laughs> so I haven't referenced the alchemist in a podcast for years. Um, but because ultimately it's change management and if you're no, no change management isn't by dictating, I'm not going to dictate that we change that this very unsuccessful approach I, I've found. <laughs> and so, um, you know, a great, a great example is companies that are creating employee resource groups around. So maybe it's, you know, a women, a women's employee resource group or people of color, wow. and they use those as the feedback mechanisms to then make recommendations to leadership that leadership is then acting on and ensuring that change is happening. But it's not up to those minority groups to make the change. 
their voice needs to inform the change, but the change actually does need to come from leadership. Mm, I, yes, I, I appreciate leading by example isn't the, isn't the best way. It's the only way kind of joke. Mm-hmm. But I love even bringing those groups together is, is already starting to create community. It's starting to make people feel like back to your point about feeling lonely or feeling isolated. You know, and if you're in a smaller organization, what would you recommend for someone in a, maybe a smaller organization? And small organizations are different because you have, you have different optics when maybe there isn't enough people to create a group. You know, two, two people, it's hard to call two, one person a group. When you talked about being the only person there and if say you're listening to this and you're in an organization where you look around and no one looks like you around the table. And what would you say to those individuals where that might be harder to bring a group of people together when they are the, when they are the one example of, how, of themselves? I think in those cases, you know, formal DEI initiatives are probably less important because your team is so small. But those are the real opportunities to start building in your culture from a grassroots level and focusing on an inclusive, psychologically safe space where people can bring their whole selves to work. Um, I'll give you an example. So Cheek Geek, we are an entirely remote team. Everybody's actually fractional as well. So nobody's doing a 40-hour work week. And one of the things we do to build connection is we share value stories. So we have four key values at Cheek Geek. It's brave exploration, relentless curiosity, fear elevation, candid and connected relationships. And at the beginning of our team meetings, we share a personal or professional story that embodies one of those values. And that gives us insight into what's happening in the lives of our teammates. And we can ask about that later. It helps us to build rapport and feel really connected, even though we might only see each other in person every couple of months. Right. I read one, I love those four values. Continue. Tell me those again. Those were great. Please, please. Let's, for anybody who's, to, who's quickly going to take notes here, those were, those were fabulous. <laughs> Brave exploration, stepping outside your comfort zone and taking those risks. Relentless curiosity, so always learning, whether it's a, a new skill or even looking inward and learning about yourself. Fear elevation is about helping the people around you, lifting and elevating them, cheering them on. And then candid and connected relationships, which is really building the meaningful relationships that are going to carry you through your work and your life. I love those. And what I love about those so much is um, I had a, a speaker years ago and he said, you know, you can only pick a value if there's a viable alternative. And I was like, okay, I got you. Okay. Tell me more. And he said, you know, you can't put trust on your wall because you shouldn't be in business if you're not trustworthy. You can't put integrity and you can't put honesty on your wall because he goes, those are given. He goes, well, when someone puts brave exploration, you might be in an organization that, no, no, that's not what we do and that's okay. And I love the fact that these are very observable, very like, yeah, if you're acting this way or you're not, I, something about them I love and I hear so many and I don't want to criticize anybody for their values. If you have trust on your wall, I get it. But he's like, being trustworthy doesn't count. You shouldn't be in business. You're going to go out of business if you're not trustworthy. So you can't put it on your wall because it's just good corporate behavior. And I kind of liked it. He was very much a polarizing speaker in the way he laid it out. But it's harder to do the work when you think about something going, well, yeah, Someone could not be like that and still be successful, but just not us because we're so bought into it. And when I hear those four, that just what popped up for me, like, again, that's, I love those. Those are, fa- those are fabulous. And I, and I also appreciate that that was probably a lot of hours and a lot of time to land on that because that's, you put some real, there's some real thought behind those. That's awesome. I love them. Thanks, Tyler. And those can evolve over time. The first set of corporate values we had was like on a piece of paper. It was like, okay, I think this will work. We're going to try this out, live it for a while and see if it fits and feels good. But those can evolve. They have stayed very kind of similar over the kind of nine years we've been in, in operation. But, you know, for so to come back to your question, small companies that want to build that diversity and inclusion belonging, 
I would encourage them to be clear on their values and look for ways to integrate and bring their values to life every day in the way people show up, engage with each other and make decisions. The psychological safety around making people feel comfortable. And I don't know if you know um, Jenny Gilbert, she's a facilitator at SAIT. I've had her on talking about their six leadership intelligence. And one of them is creating psychological safety. And she's like, if you don't have that, everything else kind of just doesn't get a chance to even exist if you, if you, don't, if you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a smaller team isn't always better at that either. Like, you know, it, it, there's, there's an interesting dynamic. It's so much getting back to all the way to the beginning of our conversation. What's your culture? What do you intentionally create? And then what do you accept and what do you not accept? And, and, what do you, and then what do you um, reward or validate, I guess, is a way to think about it. Mm. Oh, this is such a, big, such a bigger conversation as, as, you, as you get into it. Talk to me about a little bit the future. Um, Excitement, where things are going for Chic Geek, what you see, uh, you know, the excitement around change and the opportunity to just have a bigger and bigger impact. Yeah, you know, one of the things we're really looking at for the future of Chic Geek is a focus on data. So being able to have real-time data on, you know, what is the sentiment? How are women in tech feeling? What are some of their key challenges? And then using that to inform the way we work with companies and, you know, some of the materials and services that we're able to provide. Um, So really coming, you know, when we talked about ERGs and creating that feedback loop, really positioning Chic Geek to be that feedback loop for women in tech that will inform the conversation going forward. Um, In a perfect world, if we can get so much data, we can actually start making predictive you know, recommendations to companies about, hey, we're starting to see these flags that might indicate potential drop off in your women in tech employees. Here are some things you can do about it. That would be kind of what we're striving for. Oh, that's powerful. When you come to the table with an organization, are they, are they looking for data? Is that somebody, is this something where people are like, no, I know this is right because I believe in it. Or is there a huge component and part of the, the process of like, well, yeah, this is, this sounds great, but show me, the, show me the numbers. Has that been a, is that, has that been a roadblock or has that come up at all in terms of people? Cause this is so hard to not get behind, but I do appreciate people want to know if I do this, what will be the outcome? Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, the companies that show up for us already understand that this is just, it, it needs to happen. This is the right thing to do. There is that I want to give back to my ecosystem that I'm working in and help to build this community. So there is definitely an element of that. They also, you know, of course, they want to see the impact. But I would say that Shikik is still early after our transition from COVID and really collecting this data. So we, we will get there. Um, and there are definitely lots of insights we have to share. But in terms of like how many women have we retained in tech, we don't have that, that story yet. But that will start to come out in the next couple of years. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Well, it, it's, it, it is absolutely a journey and you've got to think about it in a quite a long horizon. When you think about like the change that you're creating now, you won't see those numbers or maybe the bigger shifts for, for multiple years, but a, a journey, a journey well, well worth taking. Kylie, thank you so much for coming on the show and just having a good old fashioned conversation candidly and sharing your views. And I think she geek is amazing and I love what you guys are doing. You've been getting on my radar more and more. So I'm finally glad that we got to, got to come on here and have a, have a, have a conversation. Um, shikik.ca check out your website you guys have lots of good information on there what's uh, if somebody wants to learn more or get in touch with you what what do you re- what do you recommend what's the best way to reach out so if you want to get involved with the Sheik Geek community the best thing to do is to sign up for our mailing list on our homepage that's how you're going to get every information about what we're doing I would also look into career pathing if that's of interest to you or some of our partnership options if you want to start getting your company involved with Sheik Geek um, you know we're always looking for companies that want to build more diversity to get involved 
And even if, it's, if I'm a smaller organization and I'm 10 people and I'm listening, would that still make sense for somebody like an organization that small? Yeah, companies tend to work with us if they're looking for, you know, to access more diverse talent networks, to tell their br employer brand story to more women in technology. And okay. if they want to be able to support their existing women in tech, that's kind of the sweet spot to be like, oh, yeah, I should talk to Chic Geek. Okay, fantastic. I love it. Excellent. And a very uh, philosophical podcast, but also very action oriented. I appreciate when you can when you can marry those two those two things together. Kylie, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Please keep up the amazing work, and I look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks for having me, Tyler. My pleasure. Thank you.